Well, we promised this would be an interactive presentation for all of you. So you guys have lots of little odds and ends sitting around here. Um, we are talking about what women and children were doing during the war. They received a lot of accolades about their role in World War I as they did their bit. For instance, this poem written by a woman um, explains the word of terror strikes terror to the heart of womankind, war. But look, she has squared her shoulders. It has come, I must do what I can. Ah, what are the tireless sewers of the knitting needles that fly, of the thought and the care, food to save and to spare. These were jobs that the women were doing, we're gonna be exploring. But the governor also gave accolades to the women of the West for doing what he thought was gonna be a help to win the war. One of the things she was doing was the service banner. She was often hand-making for her window, like this one, uh, the blue stars came to mean you had a soldier fighting. And oftentimes these were homemade by women who were tearfully putting these together before their loved one left for the war. This program is continuing to this day. The directions for this is on the bluestarmothers.org website. At the mansion, we probably display those. Every one of those men in those pictures most likely had a Blue Star service banner hanging at home. As Governor Stewart's three daughters walked through Helena, they saw these signs and they gave a little salute as they walked by. Especially if the Blue Star came down from the window to get a gold one sewn on top of it, which meant now they had a soldier, the ultimate sacrifice, and he was a Gold Star man now. In Helena, Montana, we ended up with 30 gold star men of all our soldiers. This flag was made by the women in Augusta, Montana. There are 26 stars on that, representing all the men they had over there fighting in the war. We were doing our bit at the piano. Lots of sheet music. Lots of the composers were turning attention to World War I songs, like that uh, proverbial, over there. There's also one on the piano called We'll Do Our Share While You're Over There. You may notice on that cover there's a blue star in the background. And there's a grandma knitting and praying away, doing her share while they're over there. But there was a lot more to do than just knit and, and uh, pray. And we'll be seeing that soon. We were writing letters. Uh, our letters took about four to six weeks to get to the boys. They were pretty darn important. And Marjorie, the governor's middle daughter, did her bit writing letters too, but um, Marjorie, are you out there? Marjorie, what happened to you when you were writing that letter? Oh, okay, here I am. Little Wait, little yeah, the, the green, yeah. orange Marjorie. Okay. Oh, well, gee, forgive me. I wrote to one of our neighbors, and right after this horrid battle, he opened my letter, and I had written, thank you for dying. Yes, you did. You wrote, thank you for dying for our country to Lee Sloan. He came back, uh, survived the war, lucky for him, but not for you because he told everybody in town about that letter you wrote. So, but he, he was a, ended up being a pharmacist in town. One of the things we were doing was trying to help finance the, lo the, lo the war. That, that's me. I'm, we're trying to control it from getting in the other room. Oh, yeah, and my husband says he can never hear me when I tell him to do the dishes. <laughs> so, one of the things we were participating in was helping to finance the, the war. 
with the Liberty Loans or the War Bond Program. These are a few copies uh, on the piano, on the library table, of some of the propaganda posters that were plastered all over our town to get us talked into and revved up to go get Liberty Loans. They not only use women and children on a lot of the posters, but they also use women and children to knock on the doors in campaigns. I found some information about that. Have, it, have you guys all heard of the Liberty Loan Program? Well, you might want to wear your button because it's going to prove that you bought a loan, which could be pretty important if the, Royal Council, if the Council of Defense came to your house and was worried that you were not participating in your patriotic duty for the Liberty Loan Program. It was the women's job to go door to door, but the kids were involved as well. Governor Stewart's kids recall that they were very busy on saving up 25 cents to buy a Liberty Loan because they even had little tiny quarter-sized ones that they could fill a book like H&S Green Stamps with. So everybody was getting involved. Go, find, go get some money for the war, one of the things that women were These women in Fergus raised six, over $1,600 for the War Saving Stamps program. And look in the background, they have another banner that says, Food Will Win the War. By the way, do you all know how many stars were on the flag back then? 58, uh, 48. 48 stars are on that flag. This telegram is something that went to the Council of Defense uh, we understand that uh, there's, uh, there's Ringling and Alberton, Montana are not observing strict compliance with clothing uh, during movement of troops. Some of the men show evidence of liquor having been passed to them. <laughs> there was prohibition like we heard in Rich's talk. And Mrs. Stewart had a problem with that. In, on, are you Mrs. Stewart on the orange slip? Where did she go? Mrs. Stewart? I was down at the Red Cross a lot helping with bandages. She wasn't. I've been wanting to ask you, Mrs. Stewart, the next time I saw you, was what did those girls mean when they said you were picking lint to help make those bandages? Do you remember back then? Lint is cotton. Well, he's got a little bit more information than I had before. But she was doing that. But Mrs. Stewart was also upset about some loss of ingredients in her cooking recipe. Is there a yellow, Mrs. Stewart? What, was, what did you miss out on? I used sherry to flavor things. It was unfortunate that prohibition came in. Yeah, she had to change her recipes around. So cooking was another thing that we were worrying about. We couldn't waste any food. There was a lot of propaganda signs about this. Herbert Hoover was in charge of the Food Administration at this time. And there was talk about forcing rationing on us. But he decided that he'd be more effective if he talked us into doing it. So the Food Administration put out a lot of posters dealing with food. One of the things was we were dealing with was, how about if we grew our own food? So the women were often in charge of doing that. Um, in your own backyards, you might be growing a garden. The Stewart family even had a little root cellar in the old cow barn in the back. I must have messed it up. You're right. So after you had your harvesting, you've got to preserve it because Walmart didn't sell tomatoes in the middle of January back then. <laughs> so canning was one of the ways. So we had a lot of victory canning clubs. In Helena at the auditorium, we had a lot of women's groups take um, a table to demonstrate the use of potatoes, cornmeal, rye flour, barley flour, things like that. 
Because this poster, well, maybe over-dramatized, but maybe not, the suffering of the Europeans, they're looking to the breadbasket of America to help feed them. So it was really important that we find substitute ingredients to cook with. And so for that help, the Red Cross Society in Hot Springs bound a book of recipes together. Some of the recipes included Hoover pie crust, Liberty salad, and Woodrow Wilson Oakey hash. <laughs> now I'm going to have you guys come get a recipe for the war. Um, this appeared in the dedication in the book. Recipe for doing your bit, save the waste, control the taste, eat cornbread and rye, meatless days, wheatless days, eat less cream and pie. For allies sake, cut out the cake, save food and win or die, keep fighters fit, this is our bit, and that's the reason why the ladies of, of Hot Springs Red Cross Society found those recipes together so they could do their bit in helping us with the new ingredients we were using. Now, there's a yellow cook somewhere. She can tell you the governor's cook, they had a lot of difficulty learning those new recipes. Where are you, cook? You're an orange cook? What did you do? Well, white flour was substituted with black flour, which we had never used before. It was very coarse and not very good. Sugar was at a premium, so people used molasses instead. So there was a lot of sacrifice at the table. Even a little American like this fellow could do his bit by eating something other than wheat products, saving the wheat for the boys as well as the sugar. The girls remember not being able to have fudge parties anymore during the war years. Growing our garden, that was a lot of work, but even the kids at school were enlisting in the school garden army, plowing up some of their recess ground and not doing as much academics during the war so they could also help provide food. The soldiers had a lot of things to contend with. The Red Cross was in charge of getting a lot of supplies out. Uh, one of the things they gave us instructions for was how to make a comfort kit. These could be made by those tireless sewers in the earlier article. And in there you would be putting things like uh, foot powder. You ever heard about the trench foot? You'd be putting tobacco products, shaving equipment, showing things like a pinball and a pair of folding scissors, but make sure you don't put in made in Germany scissors. <laughs> they were specific about that. And you'd also put some stationery for them to write home in. And oh my gosh, please put in a candy bar or some chewing gum in there. Because they got awful hungry in between getting shot at. Not cigarettes? Not cigarettes? Sure, you could give them some cigarettes. They'd love that. Good idea. You, you'd have made a good Red Cross packer. So all these packages would get brought down to the Red Cross office and they would make sure the boys over there got all of our goodies for them. Have you ever had uh, a compressed malted milk tablet? The soldiers did. So we were also putting all those things together. Now we were knitting. Bags like the one I have on my arm could allow a woman to knit even when she was walking downtown or going to the bus station. She didn't have to stop knitting one single bit. Um, they needed a lot of socks. And there's a picture of Mrs. Drummer in Mile City, Montana, proudly posing in front of 61 pairs of socks for the soldiers and 41 pairs of socks for the refugee children as well. And after that, they probably said, good job, but get to the Red Cross office and get more yarn. They gave out yarn, needles, and uh, directions. The children were knitting as well in school. 
Um, Governor Stewart's daughters were very busy. Where's Emily? That orange Emily. How about Leah? I couldn't knit yet, but I could at least wind the wool into knitting balls. Yep. Does any of you remember having to do that before you could start work on your knitting? Yes. The skeins did not come in those fancy pull-out ones we have today. But they worked really hard on that. And um, let's see, who else was knitting out here? Mrs. Stewart, was she knitting? She was rolling bandages quite a bit. How about you? Grandma. Grandma, what did you do? Knitting hot water bottle covers. Good for you. We we're supplying the hospitals as well. And how about Aunt Sally? Yep, the girls were pretty proud of your knitting skills, Aunt Sally. She was up at the mansion quite a bit with the governor's, Governor Stewart's family. Governor Stewart was her brother. So um, Emily was talking about knitting for the soldiers. That was often being sewn together. The little squares were a lot easier to make than a pair of socks for kids. Mm -hmm. And school groups were often putting those together and then arranging them and sewing them to make a blanket, as the girl said, to keep the soldiers from freezing. Directions were everywhere. Every time you picked up a magazine, you found knitting directions. They needed a lot more than socks, and the Red Cross was really good at letting us know what to knit from a December 1918 paper, emergency call for Red Cross knitters. Knit, knit, knit. If you haven't knit, let this be your last day before you learn the art. And for you, Madam No Knit, we need sewers too. There's hundreds of garments you could sew for the Red Cross. We had some uh, local knitters recreate some things from the Red Cross patterns, and they said they left out a lot of instructions. <laughs> so they had a hard time which was kind of tricky to get things standardized. This is like an eye bandage, and I had four ladies using the same pattern, and they came out completely different. Mm -hmm. So it reminded me of the reason why the Red Cross was often giving workshops for you to go down there and learn how to make everything more standardized. The immediate needs of the Allies, from the Washington Red Cross to the local Red Crosses here in Montana, they need, get ready to sew, 350,000 convalescent gowns for the hospitals, 100,000 pairs of bed socks, 700,000 handkerchiefs, hospital shirts, pajamas, shoulder wraps, and ward slippers. They were constantly getting out that information, what they needed. We were many factories in our houses back then. You were made to feel very guilty if you were knitting anything personal for yourself when the soldiers were over there freezing. So here's a few more. There's that hot water bottle, Peter. Did you make that, Grandma? Yes, I did. Well <laughs> they knit so much that one of our Montana ladies wrote to her nephew, during the war, by the way, and right above that crease in the middle of the page she wrote, we will be very glad to quit our knitting when you boys come back. <laughs> Good reason for the war to be over. They knit so much, have you heard that song, Over There? especially at our banquet last night. Well, they changed the lyrics to it. Instead of Johnny, get your gun, they said, Johnny, get your yarn. Because yes, even the boys were knitting. But they started singing, over here, everywhere, we are knitting for the boys over there. Knit a sock or sweater, or even better, do your bit and knit a square. 
little Afghan for you. You guys didn't sing with me. Did I tell you this was interactive? <laughs> so the kids got involved. Um, you were playing soldier. The worst thing you could call each other was a hunter in your war games. But you were also playing the Red Cross. The Junior Red Cross was quite active. And it, as you saw before, the, the kids in Montana, they weren't that good at fundraising cash for the Red Cross, but they made a lot of knitted garments and got that attention in the Red Cross magazine. So some of the first aid books were instructing the girls to practice on their dolls. Would the soldiers appreciate a little bit of practice before we started taking care of them? So they did. And they played nurse. So we have some nurses hats here and bobby pins if you're interested in wearing them on your way out today. But um, on, on the front there's a special photocopy of a Red Cross on here. And I'll explain where I got that image in a minute. When the kids were playing, it was war-related, which is why you've got a little bit of toy soldiers laying around. Um, the Ladies' Home Journal had um, magazine pages of, cart of um, Piper dolls, but they were all war-themed during the war, so you could never stop thinking about it. This war book, I got a copy of it, had all kinds of information in there. These you could buy for 25 cents. The Modern Priscilla magazine put them out, but they're all certified Red Cross directions on how to sew. One of the directions in that book is on how to make a raffle quilt. We do own one here in the state of Montana, and it will be on our exhibit in our World War I Museum at the Montana Historical Society soon. They would not let me have it for my exhibit at the mansion, um, there it is, and that's the center is the image on the nurse's hat. So we had to make our own quilt top. But we have the directions from that 100-year-old magazine. That um, cake, by the way, was one of our Helena nurses responding to the call. She didn't end up over, in, um, over there because by the time she graduated and was ready to go, something terrible broke out, a terrible pandemic all over the world. And uh, she had to go help. Oh, here's one of those nurses has a real live one made out of starched cotton. That was a lot of work to keep clean. You think that might be why the nurses don't wear them anymore? <laughs> but um, she worked really hard. How do you like that propaganda poster there? It says, if I fail, he dies. That's why I took my girls to the hospital when they got a tick on them. I don't want to fail. That's a pretty big pressure on those nurses. One of the things some of the nurses had to do were sew those flu masks. I thought I had one around here somewhere because Maggie found an actual pattern from the Red Cross on how to make these. Sorry I didn't make enough for all of you, but they were specific to tell you to put a black thread in the front of them so you don't accidentally put the germy side against your face and breathe all those germs in. So the girls all wore those. Some cities in, in uh, the uh, country even made it a law that you wore your flu mask. Did they help keep you from getting the flu or not? No. That's what they say, but you couldn't sit by and do nothing. And so we're going to do our bit for all you guys. And I passed out some white squares of paper, mm -hmm. if you can make sure you all have one. Because one of the problems was when you went to get a drink of water at school or when you're out in public, it was just a uh, cup on a chain that everybody shared. Imagine the germs. So we're going to fold your papers in half diagonally. 
and then holding it up like a Montana mountain, you're going to find halfway up the slope, that's going to be your reference point to swing your other point to touch halfway up your slope. At kind of a funny angle, but go ahead and crease it there. The opposite point is going to swing up to the other side of the slope in the opposite direction. And you're almost done with your cup. Take the top twin peaks and fold one to the front and one down to the back. And now you can open up your cup and get a drink of water. Not a shot glass though. Remember, we have prohibition until 1933. <laughs> so take those home with you and see how many drinks you can get before it melts. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> but don't leave. Now, I passed out a bunch of old magazines from Leslie's. This was one of the ways we got information about the war. So if you've got a chance to look through that to see those photographs we got. Um, it was really, uh, we were certainly aware of what was going on. Maybe at dinner time we were reading letters and, and things from the newspaper to our families to keep them informed. And then we hurried up and got back to knitting. Now, um, does anybody have a paper they didn't read yet? What's what are you? What's going on with you? You are Emily. For some reason, the soldiers were attracted to the homes of young girls in Helena at the time. Many of the soldiers were country boys who were lonesome and came around to see ordinary people in ordinary houses. Oh, I'm not sure that's all. <laughs> you are a middle daughter, Margaret. Several of the soldiers were really good to us. See Sloan paper, 10 admissions to the movies for all kids. This sounds like a big undertaking, but when children were only charged five cents each, so it wasn't a big outbreak. So you see why those kids were making Lee Sloan uh, uh, Afghan, keep him from freezing, because when he was in town, he did treat them all to the movies. Ten of them. Now, uh, he did come back and also say that Marjorie's socks were not wearable. <laughs> but the afghan turned out pretty good. It was six feet long. But they got that done sitting on those porches. Pretty proud of it. Anybody else? Great. Well, two weeks after the armistice, Leslie's Weekly on the front cover proclaimed the final victory was made possible through the unselfish effort and sacrifice of the women of America who in hospital and canteen, factory, field, and home gave to the country their full measure of devotion. So they, they did get an awful lot of attention for the war work back then. Is this a new subject to you guys, how hard we were working at home? Um, it, it's often gotten overlooked as we start focusing back on the soldiers' politics and the, and the wars that they did. But one of the things a lot of those women did was save the memorabilia from their soldiers. And it's been coming out of the woodwork for our exhibits. And we're finding all kinds of things like uh, medals from the Battle of Verdun, um, handkerchiefs. Over there in France, the women were working hard too to subsist. One of the things they were doing was embroidering silk handkerchiefs and pillowcases that those soldiers could buy, which gave those French women some revenue. So on the other side of, this, of the war, the women were working, and then 
the sweethearts over here were getting those and lovingly preserving letters, diaries, and their souvenirs from the war in trunks and garages that are coming out right and left. And we even down at the mansion have an original blue star banner that the girls saluted that was hanging in one of the windows down the street. Is Chuck here? He said he was going to come. There's a guy named Chuck Jezet walking around, and he's got in his uh, name tag his actual relative's draft card. So if you see him, you might want to have a look at those. So that's another thing women were doing after the war, saving all those things. So, so um, before you leave today, um, I'll pass these out. Pass them around the table. And we also have some World War I paper dolls featuring um, Betty Bonnet's cousins. So you might want to um, grab some of those on your way out. And if you want to wear a hat, I do have the bobby pins. <laughs> I think you can figure out how to put those on. I guess one comment about the caps and your bobby pins, that bobby pins were not used in World War I. The caps were held in place by straight pins. Kind of like, kind of like half pins. Did you, would you rather me bring some straight pins? <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. 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 Additions. And that's what happens when you start talking about. When you know when I have tours at the mansion, I'm running into all kinds of people with interesting information like that. One of your meal tickets had something about setting slacker records to the soldiers. Something else we were doing, gathering up those slacker records. Music was important to them as well. Um, so was the YMCA. When the boys were over there and they saw a red triangle, we would have a red triangle in our service banners in some of our windows. Those YMCA men were we're busy giving those boys that are worn out and tired and cold a place to warm up, have um, a cup of coffee, and set up a canteen for even the fleeing refugees. So that was something we were supporting too as some of our family members were going over there with the YMCA. Were they also meeting the trains with the soldiers on? They were. They were setting up canteens. Um, we were doing our bit to support them in so many different ways, so many different organizations. Um, maybe it was so you didn't get um, arrested for sedition, if you're proving yourself patriotic. But when you had 40,000 men in Montana going off to war, this affected all of our, us, whether it was our neighbor or our own personal families. And so we all were so, so dedicated in being aware that they were suffering and we needed to do our bit. Bobby, I want to make a comment. I was in second grade in 1948. Our community service project was to hit for Africans for the World War II veterans that were in the veterans hospitals, the squares where they put together. Do you remember how big they were? We were six by six. Six by six. Wow. 
Um, the girl said theirs was 12 inches wide. That would get you done a lot faster. The Afghan squares are really handy because the Red Cross was trying to have pass out certain color yarns to everybody, like blue for if you had a navy for the navy, brown for the marines, and green for the army. But pretty soon the Red Cross started running out of yarn. When Senator Powers went to Minnesota, we all asked him to bring us some yarn back from the Red Cross over there because ours was out of the colored yarn. He reported back that they were out as well. So pretty soon we were all making gray socks and gray sweaters. So it still wasn't enough because some of the soldiers wrote home to say there wasn't enough gloves to go around and some of the men had to fight barehanded during the cold winter. So we were certainly seeing all those things and Mitty doing our bit. Yes? Uh, Bobby, uh, when the nurses were going overseas, was there a uh, ongoing shortage of nurses in Well, how did they handle that? Yeah, we're, we're going to hear that pretty soon. He's going to focus on the World War I nurses. You know, I have a, at the mansion, I have a paper out on the spectator mine disaster. And the other day, one of the fellows in, the, in my tour group said, that one of those men was my grandfather. Well, I've been wondering what the women did when they lost their husbands at this crucial time. And he told me his grandmother became a nurse and her district was from Anaconda all the way up to Great Falls. So it could be why we are the fourth largest hit in the flu, but we've got some other presenters to give you some more facts about that. 